The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. Presented, as always, by our 501c3 nonprofit organization, Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan. It is good to have you with us as we have uh, crossed the Valentine's Day threshold by the time this show airs. And um, with a baseball interview in the rearview mirror and another one coming up in uh, a week or two, I think it's fair to point out that the four greatest words in the English language took place this week. Pitchers and catchers report. That's right. Baseball season is upon us. Spring training has started and uh, we've got a, a good interview for you coming up, as I said, in a couple of weeks with a guy by the name of Rick Horton, who's a former big leaguer and is uh, huge in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But That's a couple of weeks down the road. On today's program, we have, as a guest, a dynamic young preacher by the name of Shane Pruitt. He is the next-gen director or next-generation director for the North American Mission Board. And you may have seen some things from him on social media, especially with his new program out called Revival Generation. We're going to talk about that We're going to talk about his call to ministry and what he sees in the Christian church today, especially in that millennial age group. And we're also going to talk about something, unfortunately, uh, that we have both shared very recently, and that is family tragedy, but how God works in the midst of all of that. That's our guest, Shane Pruitt, and he will be up with us when we come back. But first, as always... I want you to hear something about Grand Slam Ministries. Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways. Through this radio show and its accompanying online, digital, and video components. Through our sister websites, danscottshow.org and grandslamministries.org. And through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help this program remain on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations, allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website at grandslamministries.org and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. Above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you and God bless. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, 
danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show, episode 59 overall, as we are in our second year of this, still in my mind, a brand new venture that God is still growing and and teaching me things pretty much on a weekly basis, not only about the show, but about Grand Slam Ministries. Hope you're enjoying it. As always, I like to take just a moment to remind you that if you've missed anything you want to hear something again, you want to share something with somebody, just go to the website, danscottshow.org, navigate to the Affiliates and Archives page, and everything that we've done is there. There's also some bonus content there through my SoundCloud, and uh, you can share what we do just by going to that page, or if you just rather go to your favorite podcast site and catch up, just search Dan Scott Show. We are on pretty much every platform out there. As I mentioned, our guest this week is Shane Pruitt, the National Next Gen Director for the North American Missions Board. And, you know, I, I have to catch myself sometimes, and I'm sure it's been this way in, in every generation, really. But with the culture becoming more and more anti-Christian seemingly by the day, and many of the great teachers of God's Word who are out there now being in their 70s and 80s, I catch myself wondering, who is the next man or the next several people that God is going to raise up to carry the torch? But it it doesn't take long, and it doesn't take a whole lot of Bible study to find out that God always has his man. And I think one of those men that is, in a sense, has already stepped into the role, but will be ready to take that mantle once some of the others have gone on to join the Lord is Shane Pruitt. He is a dynamic young preacher. He is not afraid to share the truth of God's Word in the face of what our culture says is acceptable today. He is not afraid to tell them that they are wrong, but he always does it in a a loving way. And uh, that's one of the things that I've really come to admire about Shane. We spent some time a couple of weeks ago talking about a, a myriad of topics, and uh, one of them is very personal to me, as, as you will hear when we get through this. But I always start with where a person is now and what they're doing, and Shane took it to another level. He just decided to introduce himself just to me and everybody who's listening. Here's what it sounded like. Well, hey, Dan, it's an honor to be uh, on the show today and and spending some time with you. Uh, Really honored by that invite. My name is Shane Pruitt. I serve as the National Next Gen Director for the North America Mission Board, North American Mission Board, which means we are a network of about 50,000 churches. So I oversee our and help lead our next gen efforts towards young adults, college students, and teenagers. We love um, students and equipping students to know Jesus and make Jesus known, but really our target audience is uh, coaching and resourcing and building tools for next-gen leaders, those who we say are on the front lines of reaching and mobilizing the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those that are 
youth pastors and student leaders and college pastors and on-campus missionaries at universities all across the nation. Um, I love what I get to do. I don't know if you're supposed to have this much fun in ministry, but I'm having a blast. And then my primary ministry is my family. I have a wonderful wife named Casey. We've been married 19 years, and we have six kiddos, five on earth and one with the Lord. And uh, we have two biological daughters, which just means they carry my wife and I's DNA. Um, but we have four adopted kiddos that are equally our kids. And uh, yeah, we're having fun. It's busy. It's chaotic, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going to talk about one of them in, in particular a little bit later on in the interview, a uh, young man by the name of Titus. But I, I'm interested because I follow you on social media and, and you are all over the place speaking in, in so many different places. How many miles did you log in 2023? <laughs> yeah, oh man, I'd I don't keep up with it. I could go back probably to American Airlines, you know, because uh, I live outside of Dallas, Texas. So that's the airline I'm on most of the time and find out easily. Uh, it would probably at the same time excite me uh, that I've um, been that many places and honored and humbled that people uh, invite me in and the Lord allows me to do that. But it also might be uh, uh, a little bit sad to see that too, to go, oh man, that those miles are aging me quick. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> old very quickly. <laughs> well, I, I'm, we're doing this via Zoom, so our, our listeners can't see you, but I can't. You don't look like a guy just from a an appearance standpoint who's old enough to have been married for 19 years. <laughs> so it's, so the, mile, the mileage isn't wearing you out too much. Well, yeah, I really appreciate that, Dad. That's very kind. Uh, my wife, uh, looks young as well for her age. We both do. And so when we say we've been married 19 years, people are like, well, did y'all get married at teenagers? No, no, no. We were at, met in college. So uh, we're older than we look. Yeah. I guess that's a good thing, especially for the wife. Uh, that's right. And, and we probably <laughs> need to stop talking about that before both of us get in trouble. Uh, in your in your job, and we're going to talk about Revival Generation, which uh, is something that's just uh, just started. But in, in your job of, of ministering, not just to the to the youth pastors and and what have you, but in, in dealing with the, the young people, what is the commonality that you see as you travel and you talk to the young people around this country? Yeah, Dan, I love that question. It's one of my favorite questions. It's probably the one I get more than any others. Um, what I've seen, and, and I'm talking, you know, uh, in broad statements, but mm -hmm. here's here's what I've seen um, as I share these broad statements is I, I look back at the pandemic and I think a lot of people look at the pandemic and go, oh, you know, the pandemic uh, 2020 that changed everything. I always say with young people, the pandemic did not create new problems. It just poured gasoline on the problems that were already there. So now you got a whole generation of young people, young adults, college students, teenagers. Uh, they realize very quickly that the world can change in a day. They realize very quickly that the world is broken and they're broken. So they're coming to the end of themselves at a much earlier age. So they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for truth. And then when they don't find it in the world, which they're not going to find it in the world, then guess what happens? Uh, depression rates go up, anxiety levels go up, suicide attempts go up. So that's where we as the church, as followers of Jesus, we need to slide into those conversations and go, look, the hope you're looking for, the truth you're looking for, the answer you're looking for actually has a name 
and it's the name above every name. It's the name Jesus Christ. And this is true, Dan. I've probably seen more young adults, college students, and teenagers in the last four years make professions of faith in Jesus for salvation than the previous 20 years of ministry combined. I think it's a generation that is is open to the gospel. It's just us as the church having to get outside the walls of the building and take the gospel to them. Um, statistically speaking, um, the generation of young people today are the least religious generation we've ever seen. So that means we can't just put up a sign and offer free pizza at the church and expect everybody to come. Um, we're going to have to go to them. But I found when we go to them, they really are open and receptive to the gospel. I think another phenomenon that's taking place, Dan, in culture is in, in, in the U.S., you know, used to, it was culturally advantageous for you to identify as a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that's the current case anymore. Um, in fact, I believe our culture has gotten more aggressive towards Christianity, more aggressive towards the church. We've seen that. And so young people um, naturally do not trust cultural narratives. So I almost believe the more that culture says, hey, stay away from Jesus, stay away from the church, stay away from Christianity, uh, the more curious young people get and go, hmm, maybe I should check that out because they don't trust cultural narratives. So if the cultural narrative is Christianity's bad, uh, the Bible is hateful and, you know, full of bigotry, uh, I think that uh, drives almost a curiosity level in young people going, hmm, they don't want me to check that out. Why is that? I think I will, you know. You know, it's it's like raising your own children. You 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 tell them not to do something, and, and did we see this in in the Garden of Eden? You, you know, God yep. told Adam, <laughs> you, right. you you everything here is open for you except for that one tree. You can tell your kids you can do all of this stuff, but you cannot go over there. And what do they want to do? They want to do the right. one thing you told them not to do. Yeah, you're so right, Dan. And, and I always say, you know, we were the same way when we were younger as well. It's like when you're young, you also want to be a little bit rebellious, mm -hmm. right? You want to be rebellious against cultural norms. You want to be rebellious towards traditions and standards and all that. And if you think about it, for a young person today, there's nothing more rebellious in culture than to say you're a follower of Jesus, that you believe the Bible is authoritative, that you believe that God determines what marriage is, that God determines who you know what sex and gender is um and you're gonna live like you really believe all that publicly there's nothing more rebellious than that for a young person today yeah no kidding visiting with shane pruitt uh, the uh, national next gen director for the north american mission board you you mentioned something um a moment ago and it brought to mind uh a um something i heard alistair Begg say not too long ago because we we often hear in um, evangelical circles that the, we're, we're losing the young generation. They're walking away from the church. And, and his point echoes something that you said. That's not exactly true. They're not walking away from something they've never been to. And, and right. you you mentioned there that young people are probably the the least in, in this generation, the the least churched generation uh, of any maybe that's ever existed. You can't walk away from something that you've never been part of. That's right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think things have just shifted. You know, like I said, I think, you know, there used to be this kind of cultural Christianity where maybe, a, uh, you know, maybe more and more young people would show up at events or they would show up for a thing. But that doesn't mean 
Um, just because they showed up for a thing at the church building doesn't mean they had a saving relationship with Jesus. Doesn't mean they were truly following Jesus. And so I would say the true church, the true kingdom of God is flourishing and growing with young people. Um, I just think there's been more of a line in the sand drawn, meaning that you can't just hang out in the middle. You're either going to be all the way in or all the way out. And I think that's becoming more relevant. I would say this, especially college students, if they're on, for lack of a better term, secular university college campuses or teenagers who are in, you know, maybe they're on a, in, uh, in the public school, on some level, they're counting the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus before they actually become a follower of Jesus because mm-hmm. they're hearing all the negative things being said about Christians. They're hearing all the things being said about the Bible and about Jesus. So when they surrender to Jesus as Lord and save their life, they already know it's going to cost them something. So it's almost like a pure conversion because they're counting the cost ahead of time. So let's go back a little bit. Uh, let's talk about your faith journey. You know, when, when did you come to Christ and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't grow up in church. Um, you know, they, I grew up in Texas, so I think, again, you know, a lot of people think— uh, Everybody in Texas uh, is a follower of Jesus, you know, and that's not true. There's probably a lot of Texans who think they are, you know, they go, well, I believe in the big man upstairs and they're like God, country and guns, but that doesn't mean they have a saving relationship with Jesus. And so if you would have asked me at 15 years old, if I was a Christian, I would have said yes, but I had no idea of who Jesus really was relationally. Um, I had no fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, my parents got saved when they were 16, or, or not when they were 16, when I was 16. Um, my parents got saved, and I always say they were probably the most moral lost people I've ever met. You know, they, um, you know, didn't have any huge vices or addictions. They didn't party and drink and all that. They had a healthy marriage. They just didn't have Jesus. Um, and if they would have died not knowing Jesus, even though they were moral, um, they would have ended up in an eternity separated from all the goodness of God. But at six, when I was 16, they became fathers of Jesus. They began to pray for me. I started attending church. I started going to youth ministry, um, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. At 21 is when God got a hold of my heart. That's truly when I repented of my sin, placed my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of me and has changed me from the inside out. And I'm not perfect, um, but I am different. Uh, I'm no longer lost. I am found. I'm no longer dead. I am alive. And so at 21 is when God got a hold of my heart. So what was it at 21 that led you to making the decision and, and understanding that's what you needed? Yeah, you know, Dan, probably starting my senior year of high school, uh, is I was moving in and out of my parents' house. I was bouncing from job to job, relationship to relationship. I started going to you know college, and I was failing out at junior college. That's almost impossible, but I was doing it. You know, <laughs> and so I always say my trinity in high school and college was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity were sports. I was an athlete, partying and chasing girls. And I, you know, I wouldn't say there was this 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 crisis moment that made me surrender to Jesus. Uh, I was just lost in my sin. I knew my world was unraveling around me. Um, I knew what I was doing wasn't healthy, but I went to a college event. I had some friends invite me and I, I heard a guy preach the gospel. I don't even remember what all he was preaching on. I just remember the gospel being declared an invitation given. And um, I went forward. And Dan, here's the thing. It wasn't my first time going forward. 
uh, I'd probably done that a thousand times and made God all these promises I couldn't keep. I was, you know, I would say, Hey, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change. I, 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 and I say, here's what the difference was. All the prayers before was me making promises to God. And, and it was about what I was going to do that night. It was full surrender because the prayer was different Dan, instead of me saying, Hey, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I literally remember praying this. It's been 20 years ago. I said, God, you know what? I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to do better. I'm not going to fix this. I'm not going to change because God, I can't. And so unless you take over, unless you come and live inside of me and change me from the inside out, unless you save me, then this is who I am. So God, I need you. I quit. I surrender. I can't. And, you know, I think sometimes those two words, I can't, we don't hear this a lot, but I believe this. I think those two words, I can't, are sometimes the most beautiful words God can hear because the first step to knowing he can is knowing you can't. And so I think that what's the change was, wasn't me doing a bunch of religious promises to God. It mm-hmm. was full surrender. And instead of me trying harder, I stopped trying harder and started trusting in him to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. You know, we've been <clears throat> doing this show for over a year now, and and I hear so many different stories about how our guests come to Christ and, and some who thought that they were saved early and, and had yeah. to had to uh, come to the realization they weren't, you know, I went forward at a youth meeting at 14, got baptized in a Creek and all I got was wet. It wasn't until I was 45 years old that, Mm -hmm. that I finally surrendered everything to Christ. And uh, we had Will Graham on the show a couple of weeks ago and and his grandfather, Mm -hmm. Billy used to always talk about the fact that he had a burden for our part of the country. I'm in South Carolina. He was from Charlotte here in the South. Yeah. And it sounds like Texas might be the same way because there are a lot of people who grew up thinking they were Christians because their parents were Christians, their grandparents were right. Christians. Yeah. And and he said that uh, the church might be the biggest mission field out there. I agree with that. And I think sometimes it's truly hearing the gospel And when I say gospel, I'm talking about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, Mm -hmm. that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And according to the New Testament, we must repent and believe. Um, And I think sometimes if we're not careful, uh, people just kind of hear these messages that are like, hey, here's six ways to get over a stomachache. But, you know, there's not the true (laughs) proclamation of the gospel, lifting Jesus up and letting him draw people to himself. Visiting with uh, Shane Pruitt. So how do you go from uh, sports and partying and chasing women to wanting to go into the ministry? How did that happen? Dan, I love that question. So I had a a sweet pastor. You know, I grew up in the country, so the church I got saved in, uh, you know, was probably ran 100 people on Easter Sunday mornings. Um, It was, you know, a, a pastor that was, much older than me. I was 21. He was in his late sixties. Uh, it was a, he was, uh, you know, King James only, you know, Mm -hmm. we couldn't have been, you know, we were just so different in how we dressed and our backgrounds and, but our common ground was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loved me. And, and so I knew Dan, I couldn't continue, uh, to party, you know, with my friends because I'd fall right back into the same junk. So, uh, I started sharing the gospel with my friends, praying for them, but I started spending all my time at the church and with him and I'd make hospital visits with him. I'd go witnessing with him, not necessarily because I felt called to the the ministry at the time, but because I just wanted to spend time with him and kind of avoid all the, the temptations that came with my circle of friends. And so one day he says, 
hey, Shane, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I, I don't really know. And he goes, hey, well, why don't you move up to Dallas? Uh, you know, I grew up outside of Waco, Texas. He goes, why don't you move up to Dallas and go to Bible college um, and learn the Bible until you figure out what God's calling you to do? And I was like, okay, you know, so uh, a couple of weeks uh, later, uh, he takes me to Dallas. We visit this Bible college. Uh, Dan, I looked at the degree programs, didn't see any math classes. And I was like, the Lord has spoken. This is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so, you know, the next semester I enrolled and started over, you know, I was a, a 21, 22 year old freshman at Bible college, you know, people, and they were like, do you want to transfer some of your credits, you know, from junior college? I was like, no, that's under, that's under grace. I was failing anyway. We'll, we'll leave that one at the cross. Let's just start over. Right? <laughs> So here I am, a 21, 22-year-old freshman. Uh, I've been a Christian less than a year, didn't know anything. And here's all these Bible college students do, there doing what Bible college students do because they're there for ministry. So, Dan, they were in the coffee shop debating Calvinism and Arminianism. And I had no idea what they were even talking about. I was still calling Psalms Palms, you know what I mean, <laughs> and, and Job Job. I didn't know anything. But I had some professors that began to disciple me, began to pour into me. I always say Bible college, I, you know, learned a lot, got a great degree. Um, but really, that was where I was discipled. And um, probably about two years in, I felt God calling me to ministry, felt God calling me ministry leadership, and specifically to teaching and preaching God's word. So I remember going back one weekend, Dan, and telling my home church pastor that, Pastor, uh, I think God's calling me to preach and teach God's Word. And I'll never forget what he said, Dan. He goes, hey, I've known that. I've seen the hand of God on his on your life. Um, I was just waiting for him to reveal that to you, for him to call you, and you be obedient to that call. Um, and then the next thing he said scared me to death. He said, uh, hey, you said you're called to preach and teach God's Word, um, so you're up in six weeks. Um, because, you know, it was a small rural country church that had Sunday morning services, Sunday night services, Wednesday night prayer meetings. So it was a Sunday night. Um, I think there was probably 30 people there. 27 of them were my friends and family. Dan, I stumbled through Psalm 23. Uh, you know, I think we all think back to our first sermons. I, I stumbled through Psalm 23. It took me 14 minutes. And I think I said, amen, 82 times, not even with the exclamation point, but almost with a question mark looking for affirmation. You know, I was like, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Listen, it was terrible. It was awful. But I'm so thankful for a pastor and a leader in my life that gave me opportunities. He walked with me, taught me how to walk deeply. Jesus gave me opportunities knowing I was going to fail, knowing I wasn't polished. But he was using those serving opportunities and leading opportunities as a way to disciple me as well. And then the Lord opened the door for me to be a youth pastor and then a lead pastor of a church and now doing a lot of itinerant ministry and uh, working with leaders and pastors all over the nation and equipping um, churches to reach the next generation with the gospel. And, and I love it. It's been a great, great journey with the Lord. Your pastor's a better man than I am because uh, a few years ago I was uh, doing college baseball games broadcasting on, on the air for the school I work for and we had a, a, a pitcher who had um, had Tommy John surgery and couldn't pitch so he was doing all kinds of different things including wanting to learn broadcasting so we were playing at the University of Georgia and it was the first road trip he took even though he wasn't playing and so I brought him up to the booth just to talk to him to see how his rehab was going and he had mentioned he wanted to be a broadcaster someday he would love to broadcast baseball so we went to a break and we came back and I said it's you know two to one Georgia on top of Furman whatever the score was as we moved to the yep. top of the third inning and here to call the play-by-play -play is Drake Brown and I got up and walked out 
and <laughs> and left him. Yeah, and, and throw him in. And to yeah. his credit, after he got over the shock, he actually did a did a pretty good job. Your pastor didn't do that to you. He didn't say you're up tonight. He gave you no, six weeks. No, no, he gave me six weeks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know, and you know, and of course, you know, I believe in education and 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 school and. Obviously, there's a lot you can learn in the classroom. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you can learn from reading books. There's a lot you can w- learn from watching others who are really good at it. Um, but there's no kind of learning like just doing it yourself and getting in there and people giving you the opportunity to do that. That's what I tell Man, young. That's awesome that you did that for him. That's but, a great opportunity for him. But that's what I tell young broadcasters all the time when they ask me. I said the only way to get experience is to get experience. And the, these that's days. Right. With podcasts availability, you have so many more opportunities to learn and make mistakes. Uh, that's and, right. and, and, yeah. but anyway, that's another story for another time. Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny. That's, I feel like Dan, what you, you know, you're talking about that you did with that young man, what my pastor done with me is really, that's, that's biblical discipleship. You know, I think even sometimes when we think of discipleship today, we think of getting in a classroom, right? A classroom mm-hmm. setting and, and doing a Bible study together or whatever. And, and that's good. That's great. But really discipleship is getting out and doing it. You know, I think it's one thing when you tell young people, Hey, you should go share your faith. You should go share the gospel. You need to go evangelize. It's one thing to tell them. It's another thing to take them with you and go, Hey, we're all going to do it together. I'm going to go with you. You're going to watch me for a while. And then, you know what, we're going to do it together. And then I'm going to watch you for a while. To me, that's discipleship, is when we go out and do it together. Visiting with Shane Pruitt. I want to shift gears for a little bit. You talked about the makeup of your family, uh, two biological children and and four that you have adopted. Before we talk about Titus in particular, how did you get the heart for adopting children? Because, you know, not just one, but four. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, um, so I was an only child growing up. Uh, my parents desired to have more kiddos, but when my mom was pregnant with me, she had a lot of complications, and and uh, the doctors told her it would not be safe for her uh, to have children again. You know, and so um, she wasn't able to. And so, probably starting my middle school years and on, my parents started doing foster care. Mm-hmm. So I had you know foster care brothers in and out of the house all the time. Um, all the way from middle school through high school and then even graduating um, out. And and my parents continued to do that even after I moved out. And so really I saw um, the need of that, the the beauty of truly – you're talking about serving people. You bring in people in your house. There's not a greater way to serve people than bringing people in your house. And that I think the Lord even when I didn't know him began to put that in my heart by watching my parents do that. Um, and then my wife, uh, when we were dating before we got married and, and talking and we were in those courting uh, months together, uh, I brought it up and said, hey, this is really something I'm interested in, passionate about. She said, hey, me too. So we even had those talks before we got married. So when we got married um, and uh, about a year, over a year into our marriage, as you know, we got you know pregnant uh, with our oldest daughter and then had another biological daughter. And after having two biological kiddos, we said, we really believe now is the time. Um, that God's calling us to adopt. And so that's how we jumped in. And so we did uh, international adoption first, uh, adopted a little boy named Titus from Uganda. And then we adopted our son and our youngest daughter um, from Texas. And then um, about a year and a half ago, uh, we were able to bring our, our son home from Liberia. 
um, and adopted him from Liberia. And we were in the process, Dan, with him for a long time because we began the process, got matched with him. Um, and then a thing hit called COVID. Mm. I don't know if you heard about that, but <laughs> thing vaguely hit called remember, COVID, yes. and it slowed the process way down. So we were actually matched with him for multiple years before he got to come home. Mm. Yeah. Titus is one that obviously had a lot of impact, uh, not on just you and, and your wife and, and the rest of your family, but uh, as the story unfolded, it has had an impact on countless numbers of people. He was a special needs young man, uh, a young man of a different race, in a wheelchair, and I, I, I watched on social media um, with just the, the pride with which you spoke about Titus and, and not only the love and joy you had for him, but the joy that he brought into your life and, and, and your wife's life. It's one thing to adopt someone. It's another thing to have the heart to adopt someone with special needs like like you did with Titus. Yeah, you know, we, uh, so we, you know, we entered a process to adopt and, and, um, you know, long story short, um, we were able to adopt this young man named Titus, um, who had severe special needs, uh, mainly from a traumatic birth. Uh, his mom died during child mm. delivery. Um, and, uh, his dad, um, was not, uh, married to his mom. And, and so, um, by the time they were able to get him, uh, into, uh, an area that had a hospital, um, he was almost in a comatose state. And so, Titus uh, was a fighter from day one. Um, so you fast forward, and Titus had a rare seizure disorder that was tied to his traumatic birth um, called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which means he suffers from multiple forms of seizures uh, every day. Um, he was having, you know, 10 to 20, 25 seizures every single day. Um, so we adopted him when he was six months old. Um, he, uh, we, we got to, to, I have 10 sweet years with him, um, but in those 10 years, uh, he had over 20 major surgeries in and out of the hospital, constant therapy visits, seizures every single day. Um, we tell people it was by far the hardest 10 years of our life, but also by far the sweetest 10 years of our life. Um, Dan, I say this all the time, and I really believe it. I said this um, when he was with us, and now he's with the Lord, uh, you know, last summer. Um, he went to be with the Lord where we believe he's fully healed now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, besides the Holy spirit himself, the greatest teacher and discipler in my life is my son, Titus. Um, he, he taught me to be a better follower of Jesus. He taught me to truly trust the Lord day by day. Um, he taught me to be a better uh, husband, better father, um, a better leader, a uh, better follower. Um, a better pastor, minister, better proclaimer of the gospel. The Lord taught me so much through him. And here's the great irony of God in, in all of this, Dan, is for 10 years, my wife and I, we would lay hands on our son and pray for God to heal him. I believe God that can physically heal people. I believe God does it all the time. So we were praying for God to heal Titus every single day. But here's the great irony of God. As we were praying for 10 years for God, to physically heal our son Titus, God actually used our son Titus to heal us. Like I said, the Lord used him um, to mature us and grow us in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, and gosh, and I look today and know that he's with the Lord and uh, that ultimately the Lord did answer our prayers because he is fully healed today. He's yes. perfectly healed. Uh, Titus, when he was with us, 
he was in a wheelchair, a bright yellow wheelchair. He uh, couldn't communicate and talk like you and I do. Uh, he was fed through a G-tube, seizures every day. And we know today he uh, he's not having seizures. He's uh, running for the first time and playing for the first time and, and, and singing worship songs unto the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We believe he is fully healed today. And it's been six months um, since he went to be with the Lord. And so we're in our journey of grief. Um, a pastor friend of mine, uh, Dan, said it like this. He said, grief is going from really difficult days with a few good moments to good days with a few difficult moments. And we're somewhere in that journey. I don't know where we're at, but we're, we know this, that he is with the Lord and the Lord's with us. And we feel the sustaining presence of the Lord. And we have the Lord's peace, hope, and joy, and comfort knowing that Titus is with the Lord and the Lord is with us. The, the one thing that I both admire you for and commend you for is that you, you shared with those of us who follow you on, on social media the, the journey of Titus's life, and, and now you're sharing with us the, these stages of grief and, and the other things that go along with his passing six months ago. And, and uh, I went back and looked at the date because I bookmarked your tweet uh, on August the 2nd of last year, which I think was just a couple of days or so, not or not too long after he had passed. Yeah. And, and you had used that opportunity to answer questions about do, do babies or young children go to heaven and, and and you laid out the biblical case in that tweet that yes they do and i bookmarked that tweet to make sure that i saved it and, yes, and my thought process was maybe i'll be able to use this to comfort somebody sometime mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. never dreaming that i would be using it in the month of january in 2024 to comfort my own family yeah, and, right. but but I did. I shared that with my daughter and her husband just a few days after mm -hmm. our our nine day old grandson Grant passed away. Yeah. Yes, sir. God works in very strange mm -hmm. and, and mysterious ways. Um, mm -hmm. So this is this is a way for me to say publicly thank you because by your sharing your grief and your heart, it enabled me to take a part of that and use it in a way to comfort my own family. And, oh, and, and it's, it, it's, it's something that I, that I'm grateful for. And I know it's not easy for you to do, but I, I, I told you this privately, but I wanted to make sure that, that I did it publicly while we were talking about Titus, because what you went through and your wife went through and are still going through has not been in vain because it has, I'm sure it's helped countless people, but I'm telling you, face-to-face -face on Zoom, the effect that it's had on our family. Thank, yeah, Dan, thank you so much. And you did. You shared that with me, and immediately I just thank the Lord. I give all glory to God. And it also reminds me just how amazing our God is. Yes. You know, uh, I shared this uh, several weeks ago um, with our entire staff. You know, they asked me to share a little bit about kind of what I've learned, you know, in those six months and, and that journey of grief and and reflecting back on what the Lord has taught us. And, and this is what I said. I think one of the things that's reminded me the most of how great, amazing, awesome, and powerful our God is. Because I look at my son Titus and to go, you know what? For 10 years, here's this 10-year-old boy um, who can't walk. He can't talk. 
He can't feed himself. Um, and yet the Lord used him to minister to so many people. And, and still um, is. I mean, yeah, it still is. And through the years, we would have total strangers walk up to us, you know, uh, whether it be at a restaurant or a grocery store and just go, hey, y'all don't know us, but we follow your son. And Titus is such a blessing to us. Or we have a child with special needs. Or uh, or I, I've had pastors, Dan, pastors, grown men, pastors come up to me and go, hey, I've never really shared this publicly, but I suffer with seizures. And the way I see Titus journey with this blesses me so much. Here's this 10-year-old boy ministering to, to pastors, mm-hmm. you know. And then at his celebration service, Dan, at his celebration service, it was – Standing room only. Um, the our our home church who posted that publicly said since then there's been over thirty thousand people watch his celebration service. Um, but at his celebration service alone in person, uh, fourteen people gave their life to Jesus at his celebration service. And then we've heard countless stories since then of people watching online. Um, and I look at that and go, you know what, if if the Lord is so good, so powerful, so amazing that he can use a 10-year-old boy who can't walk, can't talk, can't feed himself to minister to others, to witness to others, to reach others, then how much more can that God use people like you and me and those who are listening? Meaning God is good, God is faithful, and God wants to use you as well. And it's convicting. I feel the same way about the nine days that we had Grant. What's my excuse? Yeah. You know, what's my excuse? I don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I I, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that, that I that, that I got that yep. in because yeah. uh he has been such a blessing and, and your willingness to share and, and Casey's willingness to share has been an incredible blessing. Um trying to be respectful of your time, getting ready to wrap up here. Tell me about revival generation. Mm, yeah. So about two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, our team at the North American Mission Board, uh, our our next gen team, which is called Gen Sin, that's what we call the next gen ministries of NAM, Gen Sin, which stands for a generation sent to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Um, which you can find all kind of resources free that are free at gensen.org. That's just G-E-N-S-E-N-D.org. But um, you know, we would refer to young people publicly as Generation Z because that's what culture understood. And then you got the alpha generation coming up after them. But we, within our team meetings, started referring to them as the revival generation, that it was a prayer request. But we're getting to see that prayer be answered where you see sparks of it taking place across the nation that we pray would turn into a, a raging inferno for the name, fame and the glory of King Jesus. So through that, just a journey of we're seeing, like I mentioned earlier, more people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior their life as young adults, college students, teenagers, uh, right now than any time I remember in, in my ministry years. And so with that, I partnered with my good friends at Lifeway, and we wrote a Bible study for young people, for young adults, college students, teenagers, for next-gen leaders, those youth leaders and collegiate leaders, uh, to use And here is the premise that revival generation, it's a Bible study, it's eight sessions, awakening to a movement of God. And here's really the idea is that it's so easy for us to say our nation needs revival. And that's true. But our nation will never see revival until the churches in our nation see revival. And our churches won't see revival until the individuals who make up the church see revival in their life. You mentioned Will Graham earlier, um, you know, and Graham Lotz, The daughter Billy Graham said it like this Revival happens when you draw a circle around yourself and make sure everything in that circle 
is right with God. See, revival comes from God, but it always comes through his people. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said it like this, we cannot organize revival, but we can sure prepare ourselves in case the wind of the Holy Spirit decides to blow upon his people once again. Hmm. So we can't make revival happen, but we can prepare ourselves to be ready for when God moves. So really, it's a seeking of a personal revival that we believe would turn into a corporate revival. And so Revival Generation is a Bible study, um, and it's eight sessions. And each week, or each session, focuses on a word in the scriptures that are associated with revival and awakening and a movement of God. Words like repentance, holiness, obedience, surrender. Dan, I kind of joke that, sadly, it's a lot of words in many churches today. You'll hear the word love a thousand times before you hear one of these words one time. Mm -hmm. But in the scriptures, these are the words associated with revival and awakening and a movement of God. And so, yeah, there's Bible studies. We put devotionals in there, uh, prayer guides. Uh, there's even uh, teaching videos that I've done that go with each session. And you can check that out more at um, lifeway.com slash revival generation, just lifeway.com slash revival generation. And all those things are available there. Hope people will do that because we need to be more intentional than ever before about reaching every generation, but particularly the young generation. I'm so inspired by your passion for, for that age group. And uh, I, I just hope and pray that, that A, you never lose that passion, and, and B, yeah. we continue to see the, the fruits of not only your work, but the work of many others with that age group. How can people find out more about you, your ministry, what you're doing, or if they have any questions about Revival Generation? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for that, Dan. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter. It feels weird calling it X still, um, but my handle is just Shane underscore Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T 78. So Shane underscore Pruitt 78. You can find me at, on Facebook at Shane Pruitt. Uh, my website is just shanepruitt.net. And then you can find all kind of resources as well at jensen.org. You're, you're like me. I named this show the Dan Scott Show so I wouldn't forget the name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Easy. Yeah. I can't overcomplicate it. Yeah. If I overcomplicate it, I'll confuse myself. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing as we hear the end of the interview and come back. I find it refreshing to come across at least one other person who operates under what I call the KISS method, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. I, I can't operate any other way. I have to boil things down to the absolute basics. Hey, Shane Pruitt, what an incredible young man. Uh, I just can't tell you how excited I am for what God is doing in his life and through his ministry and his heart for ministry. And I hope that you will pay attention to what's going on with him through uh, the North American Missions Board in his role as a national next-gen director, because I truly believe that Shane is making a tremendous impact. We need to step aside. We will come back and get into our final segment of this week's show right after this. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present 
is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. It's the final segment of the 59th episode of The Dan Scott Show, early in year two. And once again, our thanks to Shane Pruitt, the National Next Gen Director for the North American Missions Board, for joining us on this week's program. I I think I had said last week that this week's guest was going to be uh, Abby Johnson from the book and the movie Unplanned, but uh, there's uh, a bit of a, a gap in the episode that I still need to fill, about a 10 or 12 minute gap. Her interview was a little shorter than most because of her time schedule, only about 25 minutes where we normally go 35 to 40 minutes with a guest. So I've still got to fill a little bit of time in that, and I'm looking at something specifically to plug in there. So that may be next week. It may be the following week. I can tell you that uh, coming up probably next week, since spring training will be in full bloom both in Florida and in Arizona, by the time the show airs next weekend, uh, probably will run the interview that I did with former big leaguer Rick Horton, uh, who is a broadcaster now for the St. Louis Cardinals. He played with the Cardinals, played with the Dodgers, in fact, was on the 88 championship team and was in the bullpen when Kirk Gibson hit one of the most famous home runs in baseball history. So uh, he's coming up. Abby Johnson is coming up. And a young man named Javis Austin is also coming up in the near future. Javis is a guy that I covered way, way back starting in 1999 when he was a running back at Clemson University and I was a sports writer. And during that 99 year, Javis tried to take his own life, shot himself in the head and survived. And now all these years later, some 25 years later, what God has done in his life and the impact he's making in many areas, but especially in the area of suicide prevention and mental health. It's just an amazing story. Javis Austin will be coming up in uh, a couple of weeks as well. As we come down the stretch here, uh, I always tell you at some point in the show how much I want to hear your feedback. And, And I mean that sincerely. Uh, We want to know, A, that you're actually listening to the show, but B, what you think about it. And and God just kind of put on my heart this week, we want to hear from everybody, no matter where you're listening, on any of our 
30-plus over-the-air affiliates and our eight Internet-only affiliates. But we have two international affiliates, Internet radio stations, um, the, uh, the station in Paisley, Scotland, Paisley Radio, and Radio Cross in Cape Town, South Africa. And for some reason, God just kind of put it in my mind and in my heart this week to, to kind of focus in on those two places, which for what we do here, a, a very Americanized radio show, seems to be gaining traction in those places. And I, I would just be very interested for the folks who listen on Paisley Radio and the folk, folks who listen on Radio Cross to send us some feedback. Drop us a line, dan at danscottshow.org, dan at danscottshow.org, and explain why, uh, other than the fact that it's a providence of God. But we would just love to hear how this show has impacted you, if it's impacting you, why you listen and uh, maybe what we could do to, to even further um, impact your lives through what God is calling us to do here. That goes for anybody listening anywhere, but God just seemed to, this week, tell me to specifically zoom in on the folks listening on Paisley Radio uh, in Paisley, Scotland, and Radio Cross in Cape Town, South Africa. So, you want to consider it a challenge? Consider it a challenge, but I really want to hear from you. Dan at danscottshow.org. Dan Scott Show on uh, Twitter or X now and Instagram, and uh, you can just find me through my name, Dan Scott, my personal page, and my Christian page on Facebook. Email probably the easiest way. If you go to the website, there's a contact form there. You can uh, contact us through there. I answer every single one. Okay? All right. So I've gotten that out of the way. I've been obedient. Now it's your turn. Listen, thank you so much for your time this week. Looking forward to getting back with you again next weekend for what will be our 60th edition of the show. The numbers just keep rising. It's amazing. All glory to God. We'll see you then. Until next week, I'm Dan Scott. God bless you and so long, everybody.